The beginning of the following message was missing from the original audio recording. It has been re-recorded, and you will hear a slight difference in the audio. I hope this message is edifying to you and encouraging in your walk with Christ. Our family has devotions together in the evening. We worship God before the kids go to bed, sometimes after family worship. I'll tell the the kids a, a story about Captain Fernando or Hubert or Schnippy, the tiny man an inch tall. And uh, and most nights, when the lights are off and it's time for them to sleep, you can hear Christina softly singing a song to them. She often sings, God is so good. Do you know that song? God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. But is that true? With all the pain and struggle and evil in the world, how can we sing God is so good with any sincerity or confidence? John 10 answers that. Jesus is the good shepherd. And I want to spend a few minutes telling you why Jesus is so good. This will be thought-provoking, but every bit of this sermon serves to show you why Jesus is so good. I want you to see and rejoice in his inherent goodness and how good he has been to you. Here we go. The shepherd is good. The shepherd is good. He said, I am the good shepherd. He said it twice for effect. It meant he is the Messiah. It meant he is God. The literal language of verse 11 goes like this. I am the shepherd, the good one. That's significant. Think back to the bad shepherds of Ezekiel 34 from last week. Jesus was contrasting himself with the bad leaders of Israel, Pharisees included. He was the good one. Good describes not only his morality, but his beauty, his magnificence. Jesus was describing himself as the superlative and splendid shepherd. Jesus is the essence and personification of goodness. This is cool. Pastor is the Latin word for shepherd. Jesus is the good pastor. Have you ever thought of Jesus as your pastor, the good one? He's the best pastor you have. He's the senior pastor and foremost leader of this church and your life, and he is good, and that is good. He cares for you, protects you, counsels you, rebukes you, corrects you, encourages you, preaches to you, teaches you, loves you, serves you, strengthens you, all through his word and spirit. This is the immeasurable goodness of Jesus. Let's keep going. The shepherd has authority and gives his life willingly for the sheep. The point will take this point, rather, will take uh, uh, most of the time to develop and is, I think, the most arduous, but it's beautiful. This point is essential in understanding John 10. It provides the foundation upon which our love for God and joy and comfort and peace in Him is built to last. Before we continue, let me share my heart with you. John 10 contains complex doctrines that are difficult to explain thoroughly and succinctly. Uh, They can be hard to understand. And I'm still trying to understand them myself. Um, What I say this morning 
will likely not resolve these doctrines for you. Uh, You will likely have questions, questions that I may not even address. And you're like, but you didn't say, I might not get to it. Um, It might not resolve everything in your mind. I will not say all that needs to be said. The key to understanding these doctrines is to have a humble and a teachable spirit before God and to strive to rightly understand these doctrines and the Bible yourselves. To rightly understand them yourselves from the word. I am your pastor, so my job, as Jesus told Peter, is to feed the sheep. I'm here to feed you, but you must eat. And you must grow. I I can't do that for you. Now, some of you might taste these doctrines this morning for the first time. Uh, They are so sweet to the taste. You just can savor these forever. And sometimes they taste bitter at first until you really chew them and feed on them. And in time, they become very, very sweet and nourishing. They deepen love and affection for God. But in order to experience that blessing and that depth, we need to diligently and honestly study the Bible and the Holy Spirit must open our eyes to see the beauty and joy in these doctrines As we begin to really unpack Jesus in John 10, I have a few encouragements for you that I think will help you. Number one, realize these doctrines are bigger than one sermon. Much more needs to be said. I recognize that. I just want you to recognize that. Number two, understand that John 10 is among many other helpful places in Scripture that explain these doctrines. There is much more. This is not all there is. Number three, Try to think and respond biblically, not emotionally. That's difficult because we are emotional people, and emotions often sway our minds. But conform your views to Scripture and allow the Scripture to interpret the Scripture. Never allow your feelings or your opinions or your past history to interpret Scripture. Resolve in your heart to believe all that the Bible teaches and to believe that all that the Bible teaches is good. Treasure it because it is good. Number four, if you find that what I teach is different than what you've all, always believed, and if you find yourself responding emotionally this morning, just know I understand that as your pastor, and I want you to come to me and to talk to me about it. Because I believe that we can mutually encourage one another that would honor me and I'll be able to point you to perhaps some further reading to go deeper into what I'm just scratching the surface on this morning. So we can both learn if you come to me, if this does not hit you, um, you know, in a way or you have questions. So we're going to see Jesus teach two doctrines, substitutionary atonement And particular atonement. That comes with other names as well. Limited atonement. Or you could say definite atonement. But I'm choosing particular atonement for this morning. Both of which, these doctrines, display the goodness of Jesus. That's where we're headed to see the goodness of Jesus. But we need to ponder a few things before we get there. First, Jesus has authority over his own life. Jump down to verse 18. Jesus said, I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. 
He has exousion or authority to die and live. We don't have that authority. God determines our days, but Jesus has divine authority over his. What did Jesus do with his authority? Think about this massive truth. He willingly and joyfully gave his life for the sheep. Sheep farming was rigorous work and dangerous work. Uh, Shepherds often risked their lives for the sheep facing real threats like thieves, aggressive predators, um, inclement uh, weather, rugged terrain, illness, and more. Shepherds risked their life for the sheep. We've all probably seen those pictures of Jesus wearing something that looks a little bit like a white dress or robes holding this cute, cuddly little sheep. And uh, wouldn't it be more, uh, a more compelling picture to portray a banged-up, bleeding Jesus in dirty clothes carrying a dirty and bleeding but alive sheep that he just rescued from the wolf's mouth that is laying dead in the background? I want to see that picture because that's more realistic to what sheep farming was. Sheep farming was neither glamorous and safe or safe. Now, kids, you have little kids here, listen up to this. I think you'll like this. Before David faced this war champion, Goliath, he had to convince King Saul that he was going to be good enough to go out to face this huge dude that was able to kill. And here's how young David convinced the king in 1 Samuel 17, 34, and 35. You'll love this. He said, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard. Imagine catching a lion by the beard. And David says, And struck him and killed him. Men, we might think we're manly. But we've never rescued a little sheep from the lion's or bear's mouth. Nor have we grabbed any beard of any wild beast and struck it and killed it. Now that's hunting. Come on now. David had a sling, not a rifle or a bow. Sheep farming had inherent risk. But John 10 doesn't say Jesus risked his life for the sheep, does it? It says he laid down his life for the sheep. Jesus died for his sheep. David was great. That's amazing that he killed a lion with a sling or whatever he hit it with. Jesus is greater. David risked his life for the sheep, but Jesus gave his life for the sheep. The word is psukane. Same word for soul, meaning Jesus gave more than just his physical life. He he gave everything that he had. He gave himself for the life and welfare of the sheep, and he was glad to do it. So the first complex, complex doctrine is substitutionary atonement. Jesus explained it in verse 11 and 15. You want to pay close attention to those two verses. Jesus said that he laid down his life for the sheep, for the sheep. The preposition pair means for the sake of his sheep, but it also means instead of his sheep. We get this from other places in Scripture too, but Jesus died instead of the sheep. 
Therefore, he was their substitute, substitutionary atonement. He took the place of the sheep to die a death that they deserved. He took their place as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He took the place of the sheep and fully atoned for their sin. He became the sacrifice. He became the Lamb. Jesus proved His goodness through His substitutionary atonement. Only Jesus was good enough to offer Himself as the sacrifice, as the perfect sacrifice in the place of Sinners, And when he did, he actually and fully accomplished the salvation of each sinner God chose to save. The death of Jesus didn't make salvation a possibility. It didn't make salvation an option. He made it a certain and definite reality salvation would come for the sheep. He actually accomplished his mission of salvation. He actually saved people. The substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ is an actual atonement, not a possible atonement. Now make sure you see that in John 10. Verse 3 says, The sheep hear his voice, he calls them by name, and he leads them out. Those are certain and definite realities, not possibilities. Verse 4 says Jesus has brought out all of his sheep. That's a certain and definite reality, not a possibility. In verse 9, Jesus said that anyone who entered by him will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Those are certain and definite realities, not possibilities. In verse 14, the relationship between Jesus and his sheep is a certain and definite reality. In verse 16, Jesus said he must bring the other sheep, referring to the Gentiles also, and they will listen to his voice. And then Jesus said, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. That's all certain and definite, not simply possible. Jesus will absolutely bring out every sheep that God gives him. They will listen And there will be one flock with one shepherd. That's amazing. And that is a sure thing. That is a sure reality. Now let me ask you this. Did Jesus hope to accomplish salvation for people? Or did he actually accomplish salvation for people? John 10 is clear. The substitutionary atonement is a definite accomplishment for the sheep. Therefore, every sheep that God intends... For Jesus to saved will indeed be saved. One more important question before addressing particular atonement, our second doctrine, second difficult doctrine. This is really important. Who are the sheep in John 10? They're mentioned an awful lot, so it's important we understand who they are. Who are they? Take a look. We're going to rapid fire this, so pay attention. Get those eyes moving. Number one, those who hear, the sheep are, those who hear and listen to the voice of Jesus, verses 3, 4, and 16. Number two, those who are owned by Jesus and belong to Jesus, verse 3 and 12. Number three, those who Jesus knows intimately and calls by name, verse 3. Number four, those who Jesus leads out, verse 3. The sheep are, number five, those who respond to Jesus and follow him, verse four. 
Number six, those who don't know the voice of strangers or false teachers don't follow the voice of those strangers and flee from those strangers. Verse five. Number seven, the sheep are those who enter by faith through the door of Jesus. Verse seven. Number eight, those who have the abundant life through Christ. Verse 10. Number nine, those who are known by Jesus and who know Jesus, verse 14. And number 10, the last one, the sheep are those who are part of the one flock with the one shepherd, verse 16. That's who the sheep are. You get the idea? The sheep are God's people that Jesus saves. The sheep are the elect the effectually called. This makes sense because Matthew 25, 32, and 33, Jesus said he'll separate the sheep from the, from the sheep. He will separate the sheep from the what? The goats. At the final judgment. The sheep being his people, the goats being not his people. Everyone else. So who are the sheep? All throughout the Bible, the sheep are God's people, God's chosen people, and only the sheep receive God's grace and care. Everyone else receives God's condemnation and judgment, and that is all good. That is all right. God has determined all of that, therefore it is all good. Now on to particular atonement, our second tricky doctrine. Look at verses 11 and 15. For whom did Jesus lay down his life? What does it say? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep, Jesus said. Jesus taught particular atonement as in he died for his sheep, a particular people. And when he died for a particular people, each one was actually saved. Didn't Jesus die for everyone's sins? Well, that's a complex question that requires more time than we have to really get there, to develop a sufficient answer, but there is a sufficient answer, and I think you know what it is based on 9.10. Jesus died for his own sheep. That's what he said. Jesus said in Matthew 20, verse 28, and Mark 10, verse 45, that he gave his life as a ransom for many. That means his blood bought and purchased many, not all. The angel told Joseph that Mary would bear a son and he should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus will save all of his people. He never misses any, is the point. Oh, I forgot to save that one. Oh, I couldn't reach out and, and grab that one. No, he saves all of them. All of his sheep. Now, here is why this is good news. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ's life was effective to redeem every sheep it was intended to redeem. All of them will be saved. Jesus actually saves every sheep and leaves none behind. Salvation was not potentially accomplished by Christ. It was actually accomplished by Christ. Jesus accomplished his mission. He rescues all the sheep. Isn't that good? He rescues all the sheep. He brings them all out. He leads them all into the abundant life. Jesus is also the good shepherd because no one is out of his reach. 
He loves his sheep so much that he pursues every one of them and rescues them. Jesus is not the hero who intended to save everybody, but he couldn't save everybody and he failed to save everybody and he failed to accomplish his mission. The Bible teaches Jesus is a hero who comes and absolutely and completely saves every one of God's people. In other words, every one of the sheep. Particular atonement is beautiful like a husband's particular love for his wife. Marriage is an illustration of how Christ laid down his life for his bride. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. She was uniquely precious to him and so he laid his life down to present Her as faultless and spotless and beautiful and shining in purity. Christ died for his own bride. His loving sacrifice is exclusively for her or all the sheep. Paul said in Acts 20 verse 28 that Christ obtained the church with his blood. Christ gave his life to possess the church or all the sheep for himself. Jesus is the good shepherd because he wants all the sheep. He desires to have all the sheep and he will have them all. They will be his. He loves all the sheep. He saves all the sheep and he enjoys fellowship with all the sheep. No sheep miss out on Jesus. Rejoice that Jesus doesn't just hope that people will be saved. Rejoice that He actually saves people and that he actually saved you. He really and truly saves people, folks. Trust in him and rejoice that he saved you. Let your heart just be overwhelmed by his grace and his mercy and his love for you because he saved you and has the authority and power to accomplish all of the abundant life for you, to give you the whole package, to give you all of himself and all that God has to offer. It is yours because he has secured it by his substitutionary atonement for his particular people. By grace through faith, read John 10 and believe that all of the grace and blessing that John is talking about is actually for you. It's yours. Have it in Christ. You belong to the shepherd. The shepherd owns the sheep. Dr. Karen Hall, I don't know who she is, but she said on psychology.com, Quote, feeling that you belong is most important in seeing value in life and in coping with uh, intensely painful situations. She does have a point. We all long to belong. We want to belong. Marriage, family, church, friends, clubs, sports teams, social media, they all demonstrate our, our deep desire to belong to something. Well, Jesus gave his life to possess the sheep. So each one would enjoy his love and his care and relationship. If you read verse 12, it implies the good shepherd owns the sheep. The hired hand doesn't own them. Who does? The shepherd. The shepherd. Naturally, the universe belongs to Christ. All things are under his feet, but the sheep are his in a unique sense. Verse 14 says that Jesus knows his own sheep and his own sheep know him. In verse 16, Jesus said, I have other sheep. Now that word had, have, 
can be used of possessing something, having something within your possession. The sheep belong to Jesus. Why? Because he paid for them. He purchased them with his own blood. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says Christians were bought with a price. What was that price? It was Jesus Christ's life that purchased you. Galatians 5.24 says those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Jesus owns the sheep and the sheep belong to him. Friends, by God's grace, we belong to Jesus. Through faith, we are the sheep of his pasture. He loved us so much that he gave his life to buy us. He wanted us so much that he gave his life so that we could be his. That's why Jesus is the good shepherd. He loves so much that he sacrificed his life to get us. He is good. The shepherd cares deeply for the sheep and never abandons them. This is such a precious point. Jesus cares about you, sheep. He loves you. He wants you. No matter what you have gone through, no matter what you have faced, no matter what sins you have committed, He wants you. And He has bought you to be His. He will never abandon you. He will stay with you no matter what. He will protect you regardless of the threat. You are too precious to Him for Him to just run from you and abandon you. He's done too much to get you to then cast you off. What could display Christ's love for you more profoundly than his election, more profoundly than his effectual call, more profoundly than his substitutionary and particular atonement for you? When the hired hand leaves the sheep to save his own skin, the shepherd stays and he gives his life for the sheep to save the sheep. The hired hand cares for the sheep only as long as he is safe. You see, but when danger arrives, he all of a sudden has better plans than watching and defending the sheep. The good shepherd cares for the sheep, period. Can some sheep be stolen from Jesus? Boy, if you read this, it sure seems like that's where Jesus is going. That's not the point of verse 12. Sheep are never stolen from Jesus. Jesus said later in verses 28 and 29, same chapter 10, no one will snatch them out of my hand and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Later in John 17, Jesus prayed to God about his disciples, quote, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. Who was that? That was Judas that the scripture might be fulfilled. You see, it was prophesied that, that Judas would go that route many years before Judas lived because Judas wasn't a sheep. Jesus never loses a sheep. Every sheep is secure forever in him, in the care of the good shepherd. Jesus was showing his supremacy in this text over All the other shepherds. He was the good one, the good shepherd. He is the good one who loves and cares for the sheep. When everyone else turns, when no one else is standing there with you, Jesus stands with you because he never leaves his sheep. Jesus stays and fights and and wins. Jesus made every sheep a promise. I am with you always to the end of the age. 
through pain and pleasure, Jesus is there with you, protecting you, caring for you. He cares for us and will never leave or forsake us. This is why we can sing, God is so good. Jesus is the good shepherd. Well, the the shepherd knows his sheep intimately. In verses 3 through 4, earlier, we got to that last week, the sheep hear the voice of Jesus and they follow him because they know his voice. Then in verses 14 and 15, Jesus said, I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. The relationship that Jesus has with his sheep reflects It replicates the love that Jesus enjoys with his Father. That is a deep love relationship. That is amazing. That is amazing. To know Christ is to know the Father and enter into closeness with God. We are relational creatures. We were made for relationship. You can see that. I saw that this week. Just hanging out with my bros. And it was great. I loved the time with the guys We're relational. We were made to know and enjoy God and be known by God. And the good shepherd Jesus restores our broken relationship with God so that we can know him and enjoy him and live for him and commune with him. Jesus is good because he knows his sheep. The shepherd also gathers and unifies his sheep into one flock. Jesus said, verse 16, take a look, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. When he said this fold, he means Judaism. The other fold is the nations, the rest, not Judaism. All the peoples and tongues and languages. And Jesus must bring out all his sheep from the nations. That's why what Tim is saying about things happening abroad are important because there are sheep in those nations and those sheep must come and follow their good shepherd. And those sheep need to hear the gospel in order to respond. We need to care about that. Again, it is a certain and definite reality in verse 16 that his sheep from the nations will listen to his voice and follow him and he will gather both Jew and Gentile into one flock and lead and care for all of them. Revelation 5.9 says that Jesus ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. To ransom is to buy, to purchase Jesus purchased some people for God from all the nations. Praise God, he purchased us. He is good. And Jesus is still saving his sheep from the nations. He's still bringing his sheep out of sin and into his loving care. One flock, one shepherd, nothing is better. Now, when I was studying verse 16, you have these aha moments sometimes. I'm reading William Hendrickson, a commentator, and something just hit me. From this, from this verse. Look closely at verse 16. Verse 16 is about all the Gentiles who will eventually believe. They haven't yet believed, but they will. They are still sheep. There are still sheep out there today that have yet to be saved, but they will be. Jesus said, they will listen to my voice and there will be one flock, one shepherd. Both are future tense, making this a certain reality that is yet coming, that all will leave the nations and be part of that one 
flock. Every one of the sheep from the nations will believe because, here's, here's the thing, because they are his sheep. That's why they believe. That's the cause of their belief. Because they are his sheep. They don't believe to become his sheep. They are his sheep. So they then believe. Isn't that what Jesus is saying? This is awesome. God possesses the sheep before they believe and follow him. And when they believe, God's decreed reality becomes a present reality. God does not love you because of something you did. And God will not stop loving you because of something you did. God loves you because you are a sheep and that He chose and purchased you through His Son and therefore the love of God never changes for you because it relies on His immutable character and not your fickle Life of trying to follow Jesus the best you can. That's not why he loves you. His love is not capricious. It's not contingent upon you. It flows from his love for you, accomplished by what his son did for you. Jesus is so good. Friends, our salvation is secure. Jesus keeps us in the flock because he wants us in the flock. That's why he gave his life. He loves us. And if we stray then Jesus reaches out and he pursues us and he brings us back because we are his. He won't let you go flinging off into a life of complete sin if you're his sheep. He's going to bring you back. He's going to rescue you. This is lavish and unrelenting grace. Jesus is really, really good. Well, the shepherd is faithful to his father's will for him and his father loves him for it. Verse 17 For this reason, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Why does God love Jesus? For many reasons. But here the reason is because Jesus died for the sheep so that he may live again for the sheep. His crucifixion was for his resurrection. Verse 18 says Jesus has the authority to lay his life down uh, by his own volition. It was his choice but it was to carry out God's commission for him. Jesus said, this charge, I think some of the translations might say command, this charge I have received from my Father. A charge is an order. A charge is a command that comes from the top down, and you better do it. And so Jesus, when he received that from God, he had to do it. He had to win the sheep. He had to accomplish his mission. The substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ was sovereignly designed and commanded by God and Jesus was faithful to carry it out for all of the sheep. And God loves Jesus because he obeyed him. Jesus is good because he obeys God. Jesus is good because by obeying God, he secured the eternal life and pleasure of the sheep by the sacrifice of his life. This is good. This is really good. Well, last thing, the shepherd is alive, folks, and he's still leading his sheep. When Jesus said he would lay down his life for his sheep, he eventually did. He died in their place. He paid the penalty for their sin in full. He won their freedom. Salvation has been accomplished. And when Jesus said he would take up his life, he did. He came back to life on his own authority. 
No one has ever done that before. There have been guys that have been brought back to life, but they're brought back by some other means. God. Jesus has the authority to do it himself. To work with God to bring his own life back. Never forget that Jesus is alive. The good shepherd is alive and he's still leading his sheep. And here we are at the end of the passage, this little interchange, and the people once again are divided over hearing Jesus. Many heard and said, he has a demon and he's insane. Why Why even listen to him? Imagine that. They said that the good shepherd was demon-possessed. They said he was insane. He was mad. He was out of his mind. He was cuckoo. He was gone. They wrote him off because they only heard absurdities. But others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And the answer to that is no. Demons don't possess the power to heal. Only God does. Psalm 146 verse 8 says, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. Jesus was there as God opening the eyes of the blind. Now let me finish with asking, why is Jesus good? Why is Jesus good? It's impossible to count the reasons why Jesus is good. We can't even get a little bit of it. His love is so extravagant that the only appropriate response is to worship and enjoy Him, to follow Him with all of your life, to receive His care, to flourish under His grace and mercy. Jesus is so good, and we love and follow Him because He is. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You so much for Your precious Son, Jesus Christ. What more could we have asked for than for your son, your holy son, to be sacrificed in our place, to truly and really and certainly and definitively accomplish our redemption? We don't have to guess whether Jesus actually came through and whether we're going to be saved if we trust in Jesus. Oh God, you tell us we absolutely will be because Jesus accomplished the salvation of each one of his sheep. God, I pray that Jerusalem church would rejoice in substitutionary atonement. I pray that Jerusalem church will rejoice in particular atonement knowing how precious they are to you, an almighty God, a father, a shepherd that loves his sheep. And God, may we follow. We're stinky and smelly. We bleat and we complain and we bite each other. We might even try to bite you. And yet you do not abandon us. But you love us, you teach us, you train us, you lead us into the abundant life. And for that, we thank you. We are so grateful for the good shepherd. In the name of that good shepherd, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.